0: Okay.
1: Our reading tonight is Luke eighteen fifteen through 17 People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it.
0: Let me pray for us, Heavenly Father. Thank you for your Word, and that every verse is good. Every every verse can speak to us, and we can learn about you. We can learn who you are, uh, and it reveals yourself to us. God, this Word is precious. Help us to value it. um, Help us to treat it like it's worth. Uh, It's so incredibly valuable. We love you, uh, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit for this moment, for preaching, and then fill your people uh, in, the, in the chairs with your Holy Spirit so they can hear what you want them to, to receive. Uh, we love you, Lord, amen. So we're continuing our two-part kind of sub-series in the Gospel of Luke, What is the Kingdom of God? We've been, we talked last week What about what is the Kingdom of God, and if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Uh, but we're talking about kings, and like, would you like a king to rule your life? And as I was doing research, I read an article, and uh, the article started with an illustration from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, there was a, a a king, King Arthur and instead of trying to express to you Monty Python I thought you know it's church it's the summer we're going to watch a 3 minute clip of Monty Python and the Holy Grail so you can tell your coworkers about this week at on Monday like what do you do I watched Monty Python at church uh, so go ahead and hit play
1: Man. man. sorry. What knight lives in that castle over there? I'm 37. Uh, what? I'm 37. I'm not old. Well, I can't just call you man. You could say Dennis. I didn't know you were called Dennis. Well, you didn't bother to find out, did you? I did say sorry about the old woman, but from behind you looked... What well, well, I the... object to is he you automatically treat me like an inferior. Well, I am king. Oh, king, eh? Very nice. <laughs> How do you get that, eh? By exploiting the workers. ...by hanging on to outdated imperialist dogma... ...which perpetuates the economic and social differences in our society. If there's ever going to be any progress... Dennis, we've got... there's some lovely filth down here. Oh! How do you do? How do you do, good lady? I'm Arthur, King of the Britons. Whose castle is that? King of the who? The Britons. Who are the Britons? Well, we all are. We are all Britons. And I am your king. I didn't know we had a king. I thought we were an autonomous collective. You're fooling yourself. We're living in a dictatorship, a self-perpetuating autocracy in which the working classes. Oh, there get... you go, bringing class into it again. That's what it's all about. If only people would... Please, be... please, good people, I am in haste. Who lives in that castle? No-one lives there. Then who is your lord? We don't have a lord. What? I told you, we're an anarcho-syndicalist commune. We take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Yes. But all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. Yes, I see. By a simple majority in the case of purely internal affairs. Be quiet. But by a two-thirds majority in the case be of more be major... Be quiet. I order you to be quiet. Order? Who does he think he is? I'm your king. Well, I didn't vote for you. You don't vote for kings. Well, I you become king then. The lady of the lake her arm clad in the purest, shimmering Samite, held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the water, signifying by divine providence that I, Arthur, was to carry Excalibur. That is why I'm your king. Listen, strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. Be quiet! Oh, but you can't expect to wield supreme executive power just because some watery tart threw a sword at you. Shut up! Oh, but if I went round saying I was an emperor just because some moistened bint had lobbed a scimitar at me, they'd put me away. Shut up, will you? Shut up! Ah, oh, now we see the violence inherent in the system. Shut up! Oh, come and see the violence inherent in the system. Help, help, I'm being repressed, bloody peasant! Oh, what a giveaway. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, eh? That's what I'm on about. Do you see him
0: repressing me? You saw it? All right. So that spoke to some of you. I'm glad uh, some of you like that. So Dennis, right, he encounters a king that is repressive. He doesn't like the king. He doesn't like having an authority figure. I think many of us can probably relate to that, right? We don't necessarily like having an authority, a king. Like what gives... What gives that authority figure the right to rule over us? The Bible talks about Jesus being our king. I actually believe he is a good king. Now, we started last week learning about what is the kingdom of God, and I want to give an overview of the, kind of the first seven chapters that we did. But I hope that you'll find through the course of the rest of this two-part series that Jesus is a king Worth worshiping, worth bowing down, worth submitting. And even if you don't think that, it's still going to be true. Jesus is still going to rule at the end of the day. And thankfully, he's nothing like King Arthur in this uh, movie. All right, so let's begin with the review. We're going to go back to. Chapter 1, so this is from Genesis, and the first kind of chapter that we learned is that God is king, he rules, he rules over the cosmos, he rules over creation, and he is uh, creating a a realm, a a temple in which to enter into and live, Genesis 1. The second chapter told us this, that people are also called to rule. It says in Genesis 1.26 that uh, man and women were made in God's image, and he gives us dominion or rule. That means we're called to kind of have these small little scepters ruling over uh, creation with God. So we're called to rule with God. Chapter 3, though, is bad news. The first rulers fall short. So if you know the story of Adam and Eve, you know, that they lead us into sin. They actually lead us out from the dominion of God, out from the, a good rule, uh, a, a life-giving rule, into the rule of the prince of this world, uh, Satan, the serpent. So you can either be in God's kingdom or Satan's kingdom. And unfortunately, all of creation enters being uh, into kind of Satan's kingdom, under his rule. Uh, But there's good news uh, because in Genesis uh, 3.15, God does promise that one of the descendants of Eve will come and crush the serpent's head. So there's this this future promised figure who we're going to find out is the Messiah or king. Chapter 4 was further on in the book of Genesis, Genesis 12, when God begins to gather a kingdom people. So it's Abraham and his descendants, the Hebrew people. And it's in this section that we learned a little bit more of what this kingdom is. What is the kingdom of God, if someone was to ask you that question? Well, first, it's a reign. God reestablishing his presence on earth. Now, of course, God is everywhere, right? God is omnipresent, but his special ruling presence, his divine presence, presence that that is active and first in our lives. So God is reestablishing that reign on earth and pushing out the prince of this world. The second one is a realm. God is restoring all of creation from the fall. And we're going to see these themes come to a fruition today. God is restoring every part. And then third uh, are there's a redemption. God is redeeming his fallen subjects. So we the, 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 the peasants, the, the rulers, the kings and queens, we have <coughs> fallen into sin. Then, chapter five, God provides a human king. So, we're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 17. We're looking at God's plan for a king and how different God's ideal king is than from any king in this world. And then, chapter uh, six was that the human kings fall short. So we get King Solomon, we get, uh, we get King Saul, King David, King Solomon, uh, we get a whole bunch of kings after that, and although Solomon and David uh, did good things and honored the Lord, many of them, including Solomon, did evil. They disobeyed God. They were not God's ideal king who, instead of trusting in gold and horses and chariots and big armies just trusted in God himself. And so if you look through like the books of First and Second Kings, it says like he did evil in God's sight. Like the, 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 the king uh, ruled in, a, in an evil way. He didn't honor God. And so we see this hope for a king, but then again and again the king falls short. Chapter 7 is that God promises a final king. This final king is going to come through the line of David. So, you know, kings have their sons or their daughters become kings or queens. And there's going to be a king through the line of David. And now this is where we begin this week in chapter 8. And chapter 8 is this, that the king is born. The eternal king, the, the, the Lord of the universe, remember God is king. That king steps down into a small baby boy and I wanted to go back to the promise that David received from God in second Samuel 7:16. God said to, to David, "Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me your throne will be established forever. So there's a forever king coming. And Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, he actually draws our attention a little bit to the, kind of the verbiage, the, the way that this is said in 2 Samuel 7, 16, in Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. So kind of remember what we read here as I read verses 30 through 33. But the angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end." See that final king promise all the way back in 2nd Samuel chapter 7 is finally coming into this world and this king is god himself he's also man but he's god and you can look at the two genealogies in the gospels there's one in matthew and there's one in the gospel of luke and both of them link jesus to king david they like show his ancestry like if you were to log into ancestry.com and find out that you were related to someone really famous like george washington Well, if Jesus typed in his information, he would find out that he was related to King David, one of his descendants. The king is born. And that's really chapter 8. That's the beginning of the New Testament. That's the beginning of the Gospels. And now we come to chapter 9. What does this king do? Well, this king preaches kingdom news. He preaches gospel news. He preaches good news. And we see this actually back at the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 4. Right at the beginning, Jesus says this. He says, but he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because this is why I was sent. So the good news is the kingdom. The kingdom is the good news. This this kingdom of God is arriving through the good news that Jesus is proclaiming. And so we've we got to ask ourselves, well, what is Jesus exactly proclaiming? Like, what is he saying? Who is he saying it to? And we actually find it a few verses earlier in verse 18. And what this is, should be a familiar verse to you if you were here the week we talked about this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus quoting the Old Testament book of Isaiah. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Anointed, one, means Messiah. and Messiah in Greek is Christ. So whenever you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus Messiah. So the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And as you read in the Gospel of Luke, as you go through the story, you see Jesus doing just this. He proclaims good news to the poor. He, his ministry uh, was throughout a very poor countryside, and he performs miracles. He, he brings healing to the blind, and he casts out demons. So he deals with the spiritually oppressed, but also the physically oppressed. Now, the people of, of Jesus' day, uh, they thought that the Messiah was going to come and take over through violence. <laughs> Uh, because of some history the Jewish people had had with the Maccabees, they kind of got this in their mind that the Messiah was going to be like this, this, this overthrower of, uh, of Rome. And this is one of the reasons that all throughout the gospel, Jesus says, you know, be quiet about me, don't say who I am. Because he didn't want the wrong idea getting out. So the common people thought this. The Pharisees, kind of the religious elite, thought this. Even John the Baptist. John the Baptist... Struggled to understand that Jesus' kingdom was not a kingdom of violence, but a different kind of kingdom. And let's look at Luke seven, uh, twenty-one through twenty-two. At that time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So that's a fulfillment of Luke four eighteen. So we replied to the messengers, "Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight." the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. See, Jesus is the real thing. Jesus is the Messiah. He is God's anointed one, and his kingdom is a different kind of kingdom. And so, that doesn't mean, though, that Jesus' kingdom has like nothing for this world. See, this is a, it's a kingdom that is entering into a real world, but it's coming from A spiritual place. So this leads me to like my first kind of sub-point in chapter 9. So King Jesus preaches kingdom news, but the kingdom of God is both spiritual and physical. It's it's tangible, it's concrete, but then it's also invisible. It's, It's greater than anything we can see or imagine. See, Jesus came to set free people who are physically captive. And spiritually captive, so we see him setting free, healing people, healing uh, the the lady caught uh, with with the bleeding for years. Uh, We see spiritual healing. The the woman caught in uh, adultery. We see him uh, forgiving like tax collectors' sins and and doing all sorts of miracles. See, Jesus is setting free the oppressed, the people who are oppressed by the prince of this world. Those people that are caught under the evil rule of the tyrant Satan, of the serpent who's who's been in charge since Genesis chapter 3. Jesus is setting them free. He is setting the oppressed free spiritually and often physically to back that up, to say, I am the real thing. I have the power to forgive sins. And see, look what I do tangibly so that you can see it. Jesus brings his kingdom through words, through miracles, through healing. He doesn't bring it through violence. He doesn't bring it through aggression, which is so different than the kings of the Old Testament. If you read through 1 and 2 Kings, there's just war after war, battle after, after battle. These are, these, are, these are kings in the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, the, the kings that, that, that God was setting up. Of course, the kings of today, the rulers of this world, well, they're not much different. <laughs> they often to go to violence as well. They choose the path of war. The path of war is not God's path here. See, God's path is made visible through Jesus. And Jesus' path is one of proclamation, of preaching good news, of sharing God's word. And so, As we think about the kingdom of God being both a spiritual and physical reality and it coming through the good news that that Jesus shares and that we actually share as well, I wanted to give another example of someone's life coming under the rule of this good king, of not the repressive King Arthur type, but the king of, uh, of heaven, of eternity, of Christ Jesus. So last week I shared Valerie's story. Valerie is from uh, Teen Challenge, and God radically transformed her life. And this week I wanted to just read to you Jordan's story. So it's another story from Adult and Teen Challenge, which is a program uh, all around here that helps people that are caught in addiction get set free. So caught under the rule of the prince of this world uh, find their freedom uh, through Christ. Here's Jordan's story. He was a good kid. The son of a pastor grew up in a church and went to a small Christian college. There he excelled in track and football until an injury changed everything. Jordan's broken ankle required two surgeries and prescription pain medication. Jordan began to depend on the meds, and as the prescriptions ran out, he started looking for more, digging through the medicine cabinets and bathroom drawers of every home he entered. Soon he was shopping for pills on the street and stealing in order to afford them. As his addiction worsened, Jordan began crushing pills in order to inhale them or inject them. When Jordan was expelled from college after failing his second drug test, his parents immediately entered him into the Adult and Teen Challenge USA program. During the next 12 months of Adult and Teen Challenge, God changed Jordan's life, bringing him healing and restoration after Jordan graduated from the program, he returned to college, completed his degree, and got a job as an athletic coach at the same school that had once expelled him. See, so there's both a spiritual dimension and a physical dimension. God wants to redeem us. He wants to save us spiritually through Christ. but He also is interested in our lives, in our tangible, physical lives. Because when, it, when we're transformed, when we're changed by Jesus, this bears witness to the truth of what we believe in, <laughs> that we, we don't just believe in some fairy tale that we imagine, but we believe in the gospel, the good news that is God stepping down into this world. I like that our vision statement, so our, our mission statement is the make, mature, multiply one, but our vision statement captures this. Our vision statement is a gospel-centered church that changes lives through sharing the message of Jesus Christ in word and in deed. Word and deed. So we're interested in both the, the, the act of belief, but also in the act of transformation. So the kingdom of God is both spiritual and physical. That sounds pretty good, right? Well, when is this kingdom going to happen? <laughs> I want it to be here right now. Does, just, doesn't Jesus say, like, the kingdom of God is coming? The kingdom of God is here? Well, why is our world still caught in sin, why, why do I still go through depression and darkness? Well, the kingdom of God is already, but not yet. The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. This is meant to twist our minds a little bit. It's, it's good for us. So the salvation, God's kingdom is present already. It happens during Jesus' ministry. Jesus brings the kingdom of God. I want to show you a verse. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, Jesus is making a really interesting point. He's saying the kingdom of God is right here in your midst. It's, it's actually between you. It's between the people that he's talking to. In other words, Jesus is the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king, right? Where the king is, there the kingdom is. Where the king is, there his rule and there his reign and there his redemption is. Where the king is, there the kingdom is. And when Jesus performs his miracles and preaches and forgives sins, that's the power, that's the presence of the king being made manifest in the world. That means becoming visible. But this kingdom so it's a, it's a present reality, but it's also a future reality. In other words, it's a it's a not yet. So it's an already; it's already here through Christ, but it's also a not yet. Luke nineteen eleven and twelve say this: While they were listening to this, he Jesus went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So Jesus tells this story, but I think you can get the idea that the idea that people are asking, well, when's this gonna happen? He says, Well, it hasn't happened yet. (laughs) It's here, but it's not here. It's here, it's it's coming, it's coming soon, but it's not here fully yet. So this king that goes away, a man of noble birth, Jesus is speaking about himself. He's the king in the illustration. Now when does Jesus go away? He dies, he rises again, and then he ascends into heaven. So Jesus right now is in a distant country. (laughs) He is in heaven. And good news, he's going to return. Jesus is going to come back. The king is going to come back into this world, this world that we're breathing and living right now. And that's when the kingdom will finally come, when the kind of the the consummation, the the fulfillment of the kingdom of God will be made known in this world. So do you understand how the kingdom is both a a present reality and also a future reality? But what does this mean in in our world, in in our present reality? Well, we can understand when the kingdom of God is present when people forgive each other. When you and I, when we have an argument, we work through it, and we forgive each other. When enemies are reconciled, that's an example of the kingdom of God in this world. God can heal people supernaturally today through miracles. He can heal them of their sickness. He can heal them through doctors. That can be the kingdom of God. When, when God reconciles different races, black and white, anyone who's at odds with each other, through Christ, that's the kingdom of God coming. That's a taste of that future kingdom. But notice, if we look out into our world and we just turn on the news or, or read a, a website or a, a, an article, like there's still war, there's still racism, there's still famine. So the kingdom of God is not here yet fully. There's not that peace, that final, that eternal peace that one day will be here when the kingdom of God comes. So, as Jesus preaches and forgives, it's like the inbreaking of God's kingdom into this world. And when we share God's kingdom, when you and I also proclaim it or talk about it or, or love someone or do an act of service, that's also the inbreaking of God's kingdom into our world today. Now, there's this video game called Fortnite. Maybe some of you have heard of a game called Fortnite. Apparently, 125 million people have played this game. So that's 1.6% of our world's population has played this game. And in this game, so in this, this video game universe, you're now using your imagination, uh, there are these portals or rifts that open up and they transport items from the video game world into our real world. It's, it's just a, it's a, it's an amazing thing. So I, I brought some pictures of these video game things that are being transported into our reality and the first is a Fortnite llama. So you can see on the left the Fortnite llama has somehow been caught up through a rift, a portal, and brought to London, England. It is truly amazing. But wait, there's more. Another one was taken to Barcelona, Spain. Apparently, the Fortnite Llama is an international traveler. He's also appeared in Cologne, Germany, Warsaw, Poland, and Keynes, France. The Kingdom of Fortnite is appearing everywhere, it's popping up. In fact, there's this thing called the Der Burger that popped up in our country. In the desert, <laughs> in California. You can find this in the video game, and it just popped up in the desert. So this is a marketing ploy. It's a pretty creative marketing ploy, and it's meant to like, get people to pay more money. Obviously, that's kind of its first. But it also gets people kind of out in the real world, and it gets them telling their friends about it. It's an experience. You can go and you can see that. Now, this metaphor breaks down, right? Because our world will never become the Fortnite world. The Fortnite world will never take over our reality, but the kingdom of God will take over this reality. And so there are kingdom of God moments happening, popping up all around us. But have you noticed the kingdom of God moment? Have you like, taken the time to say, this is the kingdom of God, this is a sign of God's future kingdom coming? I just wanted to show pictures of a few kingdom of God moments from this church and the things that we've experienced When the youth went and they they packed uh, packages, care packages for Syria in Nashua, that was a kingdom of God moment. When we did a free books and prayer table at the Westford Common, that was the kingdom of God breaking into our world. When we reach out to our community through our trunk or tree, like when you dress up in a silly costume and give out candy to kids and, and encourage them to like and kind of rub shoulders and invite people to church, that is a kingdom of God moment. When we picked up trash at the Forge Pond Beach, like the realm is getting cleaned up. Creation is being restored. This is a kingdom of God moment. When Kathy... Went to Mexico. That's a Kingdom of God moment. When Andy went to Haiti, that is a Kingdom of God moment. When McKenna went to France, she's in France right now. And Jeremy and Henry there in Spain, that is a Kingdom of God moment. The Kingdom of God is breaking into our world. Our weekly worship service, this is a Kingdom of God moment. We're gathered here, we're worshiping, we're singing, we're praising God. Uh, The sermon, the preaching, we're we're hearing the good news. That's a kingdom of God moment. You don't have to just come to church or go on a missions trip. You can also go to a game night. (laughs) We have a a game night. That is a kingdom of God moment. We gather together and we play games and we try to get to know our neighbors. Also our front lines. Remember how we did front line series where we took pictures of where God has you serving every day. The place where you serve God every day. That's Monica at Bradford Christian Academy and uh, John at his office. That's an example of a kingdom of God popping up. I have a couple more. Amanda with her uh, uh, fiber company. And Aaron, you can notice he has the, the fruitfulness on the front line book, like right on his desk. If you haven't read it, I have some copies. And these are my you know, last kind of frontline pictures that I really thought were, were great. Uh, oh, Aaron got in there again. Nice. Nice. Uh, that's my, did you know I do, I do CrossFit? That's, uh, that's my CrossFit gym. That's where I try to bring the kingdom of God. I was telling them about our cookout today, and I was just thanking the Lord afterwards. Like, that's a kingdom of God moment. So the kingdom of God is both spiritual and physical. The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. Chapter 9, the kingdom of God preaches kingdom news. And then we get to chapter 10, because chapter 10 is probably the most important chapter, one of the most important chapters. See, we're still caught in sin. We're still broken in the story, and God needs to come and rescue us. And he does that through himself, through his son, Christ Jesus. And the king, how he does this is he lays down his life. He lays down his life to save his subjects. He lays down his life to save men and women, rulers, those fallen kings. He lays down his life, Christ Jesus does, to save us. Luke actually talks about this theme as Jesus is crucified on the cross. He talks about the kingdom of God and how he records the story. I want to read Luke 23, verses 36 through 43. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The soldiers, the Pharisees, people walking by, they mocked Jesus as he hung on the cross. The the soldiers thought they had squelched a rebellion. But see, that's, that's how you would defeat a king of this world. That's not how you defeat an eternal king. See, as Jesus hung on the cross, as he was suffering and he was dying, that was his greatest victory. It's often ours as we suffer with Christ Jesus, as we lay down our lives for Christ Jesus, that's also our greatest victory. See, it's by his sacrifice that he defeats the prince of this world. It's by shedding his blood that we can be made white as snow. It's by Jesus laying down his life that he can save his bride, the church. That's you. It's, it's by the suffering of Christ Jesus that you and I can be adopted into the family of God. We're all made in God's image, but we're not all God's children. You have to know Christ. You have to be adopted into the family to be known as a child of God. It's by his wounds that we are healed. See, the king, as he hung on the cross, has finally redeemed. Remember that R? He has redeemed his subjects. That guy, he was wallowing in the mud in the video. <laughs> I guess it was a lady. But that's the idea that we are born in our sins. We're wallowing in the mud and we need a king who doesn't come down into the mud and shake us and say, why won't you do life my way? Why won't you give me what I want? We have a serpent who has been ruling that way. We have a king who, who steps down into the mud and wipes us off and pulls us out. And puts a crown on our heads. And says, come and rule with me. The king dies to save his subjects. He has to lay down his life. But this is not where the story ends. (laughs) Praise God, there's another chapter. See, chapter 11, the king rose and the king reigns. The king rose and the king reigns. He doesn't stay dead. He rises from the grave three days later. And most people, like, that's where they end the gospel. They say, Jesus died and rose again to save you of your sins. Well, that's true. But 40 days later, Jesus ascended into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, he sat down on the throne. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is ruling. Jesus isn't just your savior. He's also your Lord. He's your king. He's my king. You are first a subject. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are first and foremost a subject of the kingdom of heaven, not of any kingdom in this world. It gives me great hope to know that Jesus is our sovereign, that Jesus is our Lord, because he's not marred by sin. He's not stained by by the foolishness of this world. He has all the wisdom and all the goodness, and he's our Savior and he's our Lord. And he says, any who will repent of their sins, who will recognize that they are in the mud, and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord will receive eternal life. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, I hope that you will really consider it. That you will consider repenting of your sins and recognizing your mud and just coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're my king, rescue me. (laughs) I need you. Jesus wants to be your king. He already is the king. The king rose and he reigns. And this is where the story will end, but it's really just a new beginning. The king is coming back again. One day, King Jesus will return. We see this in Revelation 19, 11, and 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a great white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. This is Jesus Christ. If we look at Revelation chapter 22, we see like heaven and earth have met, and there's a throne, and the water, the streams of life flow from it and just renew all of creation. See, the realm will be restored. The king will reign perfectly, and all the redeemed subjects will reign with him. We will join Christ in judging the angels, we will join Christ in ruling over this creation. I look forward to spending eternity with you if you know him, if you love him. I want us to think back to the Fortnite illustration and those kingdom of God moments that followed it. Ask us ourselves this question. Where can I create a kingdom of God moment? See, the kingdom of God is coming into this world whether you like it or not, but we have an opportunity as Christians to say, I want to create a kingdom of God moment this week on a Monday or a Tuesday in my workplace cafeteria as, as a as a coworker says they're having a bad day. I want to stop and I want to pray for them because I want there to be a kingdom of God moment on Tuesday. But we can do it other ways. We pray for our family members as we tell people about Jesus, as we take people a meal that need a meal. Monica and I just recently experienced a lot of kingdom of God moments as we had our baby. We can create kingdom of God moments so many different ways. There's like not one pattern but it is seeking to bring Christ's kingdom into this world. So I want you to think about where can I create a kingdom of God moment this week? Help usher in that eternal kingdom. Uh, We're going to close. The worship team's not going to come back up here. We're going to close by uh, listening to a song. And you're welcome to sing along if you want, or you can sit there quietly. Um, I would ask the ushers to still take the offering during this closing uh, song, but we won't stand. We'll just stay seated. Uh, and it's by the Christian musician Matthew West. And he asked his fans to provide stories, inspirational stories for his songs. You guys remember Jordan from Teen Challenge? Well, Jordan wrote into him and shared his story. And he, the first line of his letter said, Hello, my name is Jordan, and I am a drug addict. That's how he identified himself, as a drug addict. Until Christ got a hold of his life, got a hold of his heart. And now he experiences the world a whole new way with Jesus as his king. Now he introduces himself and says, Hello, my name is Jordan, and I am a child of the one true king. This story so inspired Matthew West that he wrote the song, Hello, My Name Is. So today I'm going to pray, we're going to close, we're going to listen to the song, and then I'll give the benediction afterwards. And Lucas, you actually need to pause the live stream because we can't play the song on Facebook. Uh, But you can look up the song if you're live streaming on YouTube, Hello, My Name Is. So let me pray, and then we'll listen to the song. King Jesus, we bend our hearts, bend our knees to you. Help us to create kingdom of God moments this week as we go through our lives. We want to bring the kingdom here. We want to see the kingdom made real. We know it's going to be made real fully and completely one day, but we know that we can taste it today. What do we do? Just that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.